Here's Pastor Ed with a brief preview of today's edition of Voice of Faith. Jesus qualifies what he says by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. When a person really gets a glimpse of God, they're humbled, they're broken. When we see the grandeur, the greatness, the holiness of God, we understand and see ourselves for what we are. Pastor Ed begins a new series today looking in-depth at the Beatitudes. Today's focus is being poor in spirit, but what exactly does that mean? Pastor Ed gives this definition of it. Being poor in spirit means we have had our eyes opened to the immense power, greatness, and love of God, and have also seen the immense lack in our own lives. We're humbled and awed in the presence of our Creator and cannot begin to attempt to compare ourselves to Him. Well, let's join Pastor Ed in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 3, for part one of his message entitled, The Poor in Spirit. The Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most famous sermon in all of Scripture. It takes about ten minutes to read. I believe that it was really a seminar that Jesus gave. And Matthew, as he took notes down, gave us an outline of his teaching. The Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very first beatitude speaks of, I believe, our entrance into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3 reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can we say that together? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are the characteristics of Christ's disciples. They are what a Christian is meant to be. They're progressive like a ladder. They build one step upon another. We're poor in spirit. And because of our poverty, we mourn and weep over our condition. And on they go. The Beatitudes begin and end with the reward of the kingdom of heaven. It speaks to us of what God wants his followers to be like. If you were to write a book on how to obtain happiness, what would you say? What would your thesis be? Well, Jesus' words are so contrary to worldly thinking. They're so in conflict with the culture. Last night I jotted down what the world might say the blessed person or the happy person might be. This is the world's beatitudes, or at least their philosophy. They would say, blessed are the rich, for they can buy their own kingdom. Blessed are the tough. They'll never get hurt by life. Blessed are the aggressive, for they will climb the ladder of success. 
Blessed are the self-righteous, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the insensitive, for they never worry over their sins. Blessed are the merciless, for they get results. Blessed are the troublemakers, for they make people take notice of them. Finally, the eighth. Blessed are those who watch out for number one. They'll get the upper hand. That's the way the world thinks. That's their practice. You know it in the office. You know it in the school. You know it in the community. All earthly palaces, all seats of power, you climb up the stairs to go into those palaces or those seats of government authority. But in the kingdom, it's the reverse. You must go down. Samuel Rutherford said, Bow low, man, bow low. The door of the kingdom is low. The way up in the kingdom is down. Now, in this beatitude, I believe... There's, first of all, a recognition of what we are. And then there's a response to that recognition. And then there's a result to that response. Implied in verse 3, all three of those elements are there. I want you to look at first that recognition. We recognize how spiritually poor we are. We will be convinced of our spiritual poverty. That's my first point. You'll be convinced of your spiritual poverty. For in verse 3 it re reads, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, Jesus is not talking about having no money. The church seems to go to extremes. It's so difficult to obtain balance. In the Middle Ages, the church shouted out, blessed are the rich. They could buy indulgences. They could buy their way out of purgatory into heaven. In our time, the evangelists on television sometimes tell you that wealth and riches are all for the asking and if you're a child of God, there'll never be want. Hmm. What do they do with Psalm 23? What do they do with Peter and Paul? What do they do with Jesus, who said, I have nowhere to lay my head? We can go to the other extreme, like they did in the Middle Ages, as a response all sorts of monastic orders were formed and people took bows of poverty. There's no virtue being born in the slums of New York City and having nothing. Now, Jesus qualifies what he says by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. When a person really gets a glimpse of God, they're humbled, they're broken. When we see the grandeur, the greatness, the holiness of God, 
we understand and see ourselves for what we are. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, If one feels anything in the presence of God save an utter poverty of spirit, it ultimately means that you have never faced him. That is the meaning of this beatitude. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, what was his response? Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. One glimpse of his glory suddenly creates in us an understanding of his greatness and our smallness. Those who see the glory of God, who have been convinced of their poverty of spirit, will never trust in their own hearts. To be poor in spirit means that you will not trust in your own heart. In Romans 3, verses 10 and 23, it reads, There is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is pounding away this argument in the book of Romans that neither Jew nor Gentile can earn favor before God by their own merit, their own works. Because all of us are sinners. See, when a man lives in the light of the holiness of God, he will be poor in spirit. He will recognize his utter spiritual bankruptcy. He will recognize that he has nothing in himself to commend himself to God. The events of our life conspire to teach us something through the journey of life that we cannot trust our own hearts, that we are sinful. I'd like to read to you the words of a seminary professor who's well known in our country, a great religious leader. He reflects on his life raised in New York City, his father sacrificed greatly for him. Uh, let me read his words to you. My mother died when I was a boy and my dad raised me. He really gave his life for me. One time on college I asked him why he didn't get married again. My father said, well, I wasn't sure I could marry someone that would care for you as a mother. And I just didn't want to take that chance. When he got older, he came to live with us. He became senile and began to lose track of time. He'd walk around the house at night and knock on bedroom doors. He was a child and I became a parent to him. One day we were home and he wanted to go outside. I got him ready. But it was a cold day and he quickly came back inside. And then he went back out again. And after about the third time out, in and out, I became very irritated and said, Look, either go in or out. Stay in and out. He wanted to go out again, but he had no sooner gone out than he had knocked on the door. I was furious. I looked at him, and he looked back at me a bit confused. He stood there at the, at the door, and he didn't know what way to go. So I hauled off and swatted him. 
I could have punched him in the mouth, knocked him down on the ground. When I hit him, he gave me that quizzical look that sometimes older people give. It's a horrible memory because of the ugliness inside of me. With a glimpse like that, I realized my bankruptcy and depravity. That was Haddon Robinson, one of the great preachers of our time, one of the great evangelical leaders of the church. Life conspires to teach us and to reveal to us our own hearts. Haven't you found yourself in situations where all of a sudden you had a revelation of what was in your heart? When a man is poor in spirit, he will not trust in his own heart. I like the prayer that Bruce Wilkerson composed in this spiritual program that he has. It's a prayer in response to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And the prayer says this phrase in it. God, I don't have any trouble trusting myself to you. Because knowing who I am and knowing who you are, it's an easy choice. Knowing what's in your heart and knowing what God is like should make it an easy choice to trust his heart and him. So blessed are the poor in spirit refers to an individual who has learned to understand his own heart and has come to an end in himself and he trusts in God's heart. It's not only trusting in our in God, but we also will not trust in our own works. The man who does not trust in his own works is a man who's realized that God is his only source. In Galatians 2.16, Paul the Apostle writes, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith. In Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, for by works of the law no flesh will be justified. That's what Lou was singing about. We come to this table not on our merits. We partake of the communion of the Lord not because we've earned a place at that communion table, but our heavenly Advocate, our Savior, has purchased for us a place at that table of grace. The great mistake that sometimes religious people make is we start off right. We believe, yes, I'm saved by faith and faith alone, but as time goes on, we begin to put notches in our belt. We begin to count our good works. We begin to remember all the things that we've done. And we begin to trust in some of those things. That's why Jesus shocked his audience when he told this story found in Luke chapter 18. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness 
and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and another a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, there's no question that that Pharisee was a better man than that tax collector. If each of them were running for political office, you'd vote for that Pharisee. I mean, he was scrupulous in obeying the law. He had morals. The tax collector sold himself out for money. He betrayed his country. He was a turncoat. And so when Jesus said that, that shocked the audience. But what Jesus was saying is that when men begin to stand before God on their own merits, they are knocked out from right under their feet because no one merits his way to God. No one on his own works could stand in the presence of God. That tax collector knew he was a sinner. You say, well, he needed to be humble. <laughs> yeah, he did. But he also recognized something else. That if he were to approach God, it had to be on one basis alone, mercy, grace. You never outgrow your need of grace. You never outgrow your need for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. You never outgrow your need to come before God humbly. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. In fact, the longer you walk this way, the longer you're on the journey, the greater your debt to grace is. If you look back on the years, and maybe you look at the works of your hands, and as you look at the works of your hands, you recognize that in your best deeds are mixed motives. And even in the good things you did, it was a spirit that prompted you. You realize that there is only one that's good, and that's God. You and I may be in debt. Maybe I have a dollar in my pocket to meet a trillion dollar debt. And maybe you have a thousand dollars in your pocket to meet a trillion dollar debt. You may be a thousand times better off than I. But what is that in light of a trillion dollar debt? That's what God is saying. We are all debtors to His grace. All debtors to Him. Now once we truly recognize our spiritually poverty... There's a heartfelt response. 
It will make us beggars. Yes, beggars. We'll find ourselves at heaven's gate begging for God's grace. And that's my second point. Spiritual beggars at heaven's gate. Now, the Greek word poor there is a word that refers to abject poverty. There are several Greek words for poor. One word means you just live from hand to mouth. You go from day to day. But the word that's used here is a word that refers to being an absolute beggar. It's the same word that's used in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus who laid begging at the gate. What Jesus is saying is that we recognize our need of God. We recognize our need of God. In Psalm 124, verse 8, it reads, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Our help is in God. Uh, You realize, I don't have what it takes to live this Christian life. People sometimes say, If only you'll live the Sermon on the Mount, you'll really get to heaven. You'll make it. But who could live the Sermon on the Mount? Read it. We're driven to our knees. We're driven to confess, God, I need you. When I attended Zion Bible Institute, John Paleoa, a fellow student there, would have a responsibility of painting the various dormitories, the outside, the inside, and he'd always be singing, I need thee, I need thee. And you know, that's what we ought to be always singing. I need thee, I need thee. Annie Hawks, the author of that song, was a housewife. And back in 1872, she was at her kitchen sink just washing dishes. And all of a sudden, the words came to her in the form of a poem. She wrote them down. And to her amazement, they were a tremendous comfort and consolation to so many others. But she said, 16 years later, when her husband died, and she sang those words, she realized why they were such a comfort. Listen to a couple of the stanzas. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. Another stanza, I need thee every hour. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power. When thou art nigh, I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee built into your very person are weaknesses. All of us have them. They came through the fall, but they serve us well because they remind us that we need God. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 is one of the most well-known portions of Scripture in the whole of the Bible. 
In this text, Jesus talks about loving our enemies, fasting, and properly judging. Each day here on Voice of Faith, Pastor Ed will be teaching through the Beatitudes. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Voice of Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to voiceoffaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. There you can find today's message. The only thing you need to remember is today's date. Again, to stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Voice of Faith and to access the archive of messages, log on to voiceoffaithradio.com. Or if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845-462-5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next edition of Voice of Faith. On behalf of Pastor Ed, Faith Assembly, and the entire production team, we want to say thank you for joining us and come back next time for another edition of Voice of Faith.